Welcome to Present Truth Broadcast with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. Brought to you by Present Truth Ministry, a teaching ministry where believers are trained to be established in the truth of God's Word. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. Father, thank you because I'm anointed to teach. Thank you because this morning would learn from the perfect law of liberty. There will be supernatural transformation in our lives as we look into the law of God's word. I thank you because your people are anointed to receive. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. So we've started in the last couple of sessions talking about the, the prayer life of Jesus. And we started by learning from the life of Jesus how he prayed. And we clearly stated that we, we are learning from the period of his humanity. That even though Jesus was 100% God, he was also 100% human. And we're learning from the period of what? Of his humanity. And how did we know that Jesus was also human? The Bible says he got tired. The Bible says he got tired. The Bible says uh, he wept. All right? He got tired. He wept. He ate. Uh, he drank. Okay? He slept. Those are human attributes. And we are looking at the lessons we can learn from the life of Jesus when it comes to prayer. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7, which has been our key um, scripture. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7. Hebrews 5, 7 has been our key scripture. Who in the days, talking about Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. So the Bible says that in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. But I want you to, to observe, the Bible says with vehement cries and tears. So there was emotions to his prayer. There was emotions to his prayer. There were prayers that came out of the depth of his soul. And that's very important when we pray. It's very important that we pray passionately. It's important that we pray passionately. Many times in scripture, God talks about the prayers of the saints and how passionate it was. Sometimes he uses the word earnest for, for, for Elijah. He uses the word earnest and fervent. Our prayer life cannot just be dull. Our prayer life cannot just be uninteresting. We cannot just have a casual prayer life. The Bible says Jesus offered up these prayers with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And we're going to look at this passage in the book of Luke because this was talking about uh, the days before he went to the cross. Moments before he went to the cross. Let's go to Luke chapter 5. I'm just running a brief 
review and summary, and then we get into what we have today. Luke chapter 5, and we are going to read verse 16. Your prayer life is a measure of your maturity. When I walk into a congregation or when I uh, walk into where people are praying, the type of prayers they pray tells me a lot about their spiritual growth. The kind of prayer you pray tells a lot about your spiritual growth. How matured you are in the place of prayer. You know, for some people, when we say, let's pray the prayer that Paul prayed for the church or asked the church to pray, it doesn't make meaning. For instance, I say, let's pray. We're going to pray that the eyes of our understanding be enlightened. I will know the mystery of God's will, that our heart be filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And you're like, yes, and so, what's the next one? You know, because the prayers that move us are prayers that have to do with either finance, uh, breakthrough, open doors, success, you know, and all of that. And if you are from the other version of Christianity, uh, if there's any, any killing addition to it, then the fire really goes up. But the truth of the matter is that prayer is not just meant to get something from God. Prayer was designed to make you become more like God. Amen. Prayer was not just designed to do what? To get something from God or for us to move things. Prayer was designed for us to become more like him. Because in the place of prayer, we fellowship and communicate with God. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 16, Luke chapter 5 and verse 16, the Bible says, So he often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. He often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Now, as I was reading this this morning, this, this came into my mind. When Jesus withdrew into the wilderness, he didn't go to do many things. When he withdrew into the wilderness, he prayed. Our time of withdrawal should be commitment to prayers. Not just commitment to worrying, but commitment to what? To prayers. When we withdraw, when we separate ourselves, we should separate ourselves to prayer. Amen. I said amen. We should do what? Separate ourselves to what? To prayer. He withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. You know, I, 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 I'm going to do a teaching on fasting because I, I realize in talking with people, um, Sometimes we have different uh, concepts of fasting. But I just want to say this. The first thing you must understand is that fasting does not change God. Fasting doesn't change God. Fasting puts you in a position to receive more from God. Are you following what I'm saying? So you don't, you're not fasting so God will do something. Whatever God wants to do for you, he has done on the cross. All right? But when you fast, you separate yourself onto prayers. Now, the, the reason I brought that up is because you have people saying, I am praying I am, and I'm fasting. Okay? So, so some people start fasting and uh, then, then they're going to fast from 6 to 6 and, and, and then they, they, they go and just pack clothes. In fact, they, they leave all the clothes dirty and they say, I'm going to fast next week. So I'll use that time to wash. All right? So they, they, they just pack the clothes, they start washing, and what they are really doing is whiling away time. Because for them, 
The fast is just the fact that they separated themselves from food, you know, so they get all the work, they get busy and all that, no time spent in prayer, no time spent in the word, and once it's six o'clock, boom, then they hit the fridge. You know, you just punished yourself. You shouldn't have started in the first place. All right? If you cannot, if, 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 uh, except for people who work, but if you, if you want to fast, let it be that you can separate yourself to something. When Jesus went to the wilderness, he didn't just go to the wilderness and just climb and sat down and say, ah, thank God disciples are not here. No, he separated himself onto something. So, for instance, you want to take a day or two to fast. You tell yourself, how many hours am I going to spend on the word? How many hours am I going to spend praying? You know, and for some of us, when we are fasting, once it's getting to the time, we are so close to the fridge. We're just waiting for the minutes to count. It's like countdown, right? Like 10, you know, 8, um, 7, 3, 2. And once it's warm, boom. You know, the whole fridge is open and we are, I mean, you're eating like, ah, this is it. I finally broken the fast. It was unnecessary. You know, the fasting is not a, a, a method of spiritual punishment. It is supposed to be a time of consecration and separation to the Father. All right? And that's why I tell people also that when you are fasting and you're beginning to feel dizzy, please look for something to eat. You read the story, was it last week, of, uh, of a couple, is it last week now? Last two weeks. Of a couple in the U.S. who made their kid to fast for 40 days or something and then the, the, the children passed on and all that. And, and, you know, because we, we can be very religious and not understand the meaning of some of these things. And so, when you are separating yourself onto fasting and prayer, make sure you give quality time to the Word. As you're fasting, read the Word. As you're fasting, pray. Okay? It's not like you're fasting and you look so weak and so worn out and, you know, people, even people just know. So, the first question they ask is, hey, brother, are you fasting? They say, ah. <laughs> We're on a program. We're on a program. It's unnecessary. When you fast, separate yourself onto the word. It's, it's, it's humbling your flesh so you can spend more time with the Father. Praise the name of the Lord. So Jesus withdrew himself onto this. Now, it's important that we do not only pray and fast when the church declares prayer and fasting. Because I know we're getting into it next year, and by January, most of you will start on a on a, on a 40 day, 50 day, uh, 70 day, 100 day fast, whatever the days are that are declared. Uh, the truth of the matter is that why those things are good, you must understand the purpose. What is the purpose of a fast? Every fast must have a purpose. Why am I fasting? Why am I fasting? Because sometimes the solution to your problem is knowledge. All right? And, and if you don't know something and you are hungry, the tendency to know it has been slowed down. So it's better you eat and you read. Is fasting wrong? Absolutely not. But there must be a purpose. Now, again, I don't know why I'm talking about fasting. I'm talking about prayer. But I'm sure it will help someone. Again, there is a fast that Jesus Christ required. Which says, the fast that I require from you is that you feed the poor. You take care of the hungry. That's a kind of fast also. All right? So there are different kinds of fast. There's also a fast from social media. Okay? You can fast from social media. You can fast from television. You can fast from uh, reading newspaper. There are some of you who are news addicts. You hear the news 8 o'clock, you hear the recap by 9, then you hear the double recap 
by 10. Then you hear news at 12. Then 2 o'clock, you will hear news roundup. And everything is talking about the same thing. Sometimes you need to separate yourself from that. You can hear what God is saying to you. So there, there are different kinds of fast. Not just fast from food, all right? Sometimes there's what you call the fasted life. What that means is that you just try to eat little so that you can keep your spirit in shape to hear from the Father. Praise the name of the Lord. And I'll just say this. Maybe the Lord wants to help someone this morning. There's nothing like fasting, you know, because you want to use it as a weapon of punishment for someone. For instance, you've heard people say, I will fast for you on this matter. and My God will answer you. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. If you need to ask anything from the Lord, just ask him. Amen. You don't use fasting as a weapon of spiritual uh, 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 warfare. You're not a witch doctor. Okay? You're a child of God. Are we clear on that? All right. Because some of you threaten people with fasting. So if I go seven days dry for you, you will not be alive. No, please don't. We need, we need people alive, okay? When we fast, we are separating ourselves to our Father to hear the Word of God, to learn the Word of God. Let's go to Luke chapter 22. And uh, so that's just a summary. Luke 22. We we want to pick certain things from the life of Jesus, how he prayed, and learn a few things. Luke 22 and verse 32. Let's, Let's look at verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you, that he may sift you as with. Verse 32, Luke twenty-two thirty-two. 32, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Verse 33, but he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you, but to prison and to death. <laughs> Look at the confidence of Peter. Jesus says, you're going to go through a season of temptation, but I prayed for you that when you overcome, strengthen the brethren. Peter said, oh, you don't understand me. I'm ready to go with you. <laughs> then he said, I tell you, Peter, the roaster or the cock shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you, that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you without money bag, knapsack and sandals, did you lack anything? So they said nothing. So he, he gave all of that to them. Let's just read, then I'll, I'll talk about this. Verse 39, quickly. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray. This is, this is where I want us to pick up. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed. Look at this. He says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. I want you to observe the word more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer, he came to his disciples. He found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, 
lest you enter into temptation. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude, and he was called, and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going on, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them <laughs> struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ears. But Jesus answered and said, Permit him this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Now we've read the accounts of the, the moments Jesus was about to go to the cross. But I want you to observe what happened in verse 32 about Peter. He says, I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen the brethren. Here we find out that Jesus observed a disciple of his that was about to deny him. And what was the response of Jesus to this disciple? He didn't call him aside for, for counseling. He didn't call him aside for, for caution. He didn't call him aside to rebuke him. It's like, uh, you see, he, he didn't call him and say, you know what, I'm going to reveal a secret. This is what God showed me. You are going to deny me. And all of those stuff. He didn't go about it that way. The first response of Jesus to Peter, who was going to deny him, was prayers. And the prayer was not that God will punish him for denying him. Do you know what it means? After training someone for three and a half years, fed them, ate, ate with them, they were called your disciples, and now you are about to die, and the guy is about to betray you. Come on, you, how many of you know you are not going to pray, God bless this guy? You're not going to pray that prayer. Come on now. I said, you know you are not going to pray that prayer. Am I right? This guy is going to betray you. And the betrayer is going to be strong. He's going to say, I don't know him. And you're about to die. I mean, but what was the response of Jesus? He prayed that the faith of Peter would not fail. What do we learn from Jesus? That our response to betrayal is for the spiritual life of those who betrayed us. That's our response. That's our response. Oh, this person betrayed me. My God will not let them see you sleep. You're not like Jesus. You're almost becoming like the devil. Oh, pastor, it's not easy. Nobody said this is an easy route. The easy place is when you want God to kill people for what they have done to you. That's the easy route. And you realize this, even though you're not a believer, every natural human being responds that way. Am I right? What's the natural response of humans to betrayal? It's to give it back. The house is very quiet. Are we together? That's why I'm talking very slowly, so you not miss anything. I want you to hear everything. That's I'm taking it. If there was a slow motion way of preaching, I would have opted for that. Because I know this is the, you know, all the ones we've been teaching, Jesus withdrew himself, Jesus prayed, I like that one. This one is the most difficult one. To look at someone who you know, it's not that you are assuming. You know this man is going to betray me, and you say, I have prayed 
for you. That when you overcome, you strengthen the brethren. There are very big lessons here. It's a very simple statement, but there are big lessons. Number one, if I wear Jesus, I will pray for the and by the time they have overcome, they will join another church. <laughs> How many of you will pray like me? I mean, loyalty for me is a big deal. How many of you agree? Come on. How many of you agree that's the way you would want to pray? Nobody agrees. Let me look for another message to preach. <laughs> Come on. How many of you agree that if you know that someone wants to be true and you find out, and even if you pray for them, they will not walk with you again? So how many of you can see that the prayer of Jesus also helped him to be able to love Peter back? And that on the day of Pentecost, this same Peter was the one who preached and 3,000 people came to Christ. Meaning that if Jesus, listen, had not prayed for Peter this way, we would have lost a major apostle that would have brought revival to the body of Christ. So how does Jesus respond to people that, I know it's, I know it's difficult because right now you are thinking of all the people this prayer applied to and you're looking, mm -mm, this thing is good, but <laughs> it won't work. That's why we're studying the life of Jesus. He says, I prayed for you. And when you overcome, strengthen the brethren. Prayer helps us to love people. You cannot gossip about someone and pray about them the same time. It will not happen. If you are praying for people, you will not be a gossiper. Because what's going to happen is you are going to bear their burdens in the place of prayer. So through prayer, we can sustain our brethren. We can sustain those who hurt us. If I, if I see a believer who finds it difficult to walk in forgiveness, I see a believer who doesn't spend time in prayer. Come on, are we together? Because one of the first things God always highlights to you in the place of prayer is those who have offended you and you need to forgive. That's why most of us don't want to get into prayer because immediately we, we, we start praying, the Lord starts saying, let that person go. And because we want to keep a lot of people in our mind, we, we don't want to press into that place of prayer. If you will pray enough, it will be easy to walk in love. Because in the communion with God, what's going to happen? The life, the love of God is going to flow in your heart. Can you say amen? amen. All right, thank you. Jesus spent time to pray for Peter. It says, I prayed for your faith. That doesn't fail. And when you overcome, strengthen the brethren. We cannot give up on people. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? We cannot do what? Give up on people. Most of us that are here today was because someone spent time to pray for us. Some of you were walking the wrong way already. But someone was praying for you. You also need to help, through your prayer, bring other people to the saving knowledge of Christ. We studied about Epaphras. Remember that? Of Colossians? 
He says he prayed fervently that the believers will stand perfect in the will of God. That's the same thing Jesus did for Peter. That people will be able to stand in the perfect will of God. One of the ways we bear each one another's burden in church is to pray for one another. To pray for one another. To intercede for one another. You see a brother going wrong or something is happening. What happens? You spend time in intercession for that brother praying for his faith. One thing I realize as, as a minister of the gospel is sometimes only the Holy Spirit can make someone do something. So I'll give you an example. You, 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 you're actually inviting this brother, always encouraging the brother, please make sure you're in church, please make sure you come to church, please make sure you come to church. When I do that for, uh, uh, for, for, for some time, and they are not responding, I just start praying about them. I just spend more time praying about them. And before you realize, the Lord begins to walk in their heart. The Holy Spirit is the one that can really convince men to do things. You can't. Are you following what I'm saying? So, Jesus responds to the disciple. We're not talking about a friend. We're talking about a disciple that would betray him was prayer. He responded in praying for the person. Responded in praying in such a way that the Lord was going to help this disciple to become strengthened and he was going to become a major apostle. Sometimes we need to pray people into the will of God for their lives. Sometimes we need to pray people into the purposes of God for their lives. Sometimes we need to pray people into the, um, the, 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 the response to the will of God for their life. Meaning that they are in a position to be able to respond to the will of God. And this takes a lot of patience. This takes a lot of perseverance. This was Peter. And Jesus spent time to pray for him. So our response to those who betray us is to spend more time praying for them. And as we pray for them, the love of God is worked out in our heart. Can you say amen? amen? Right. So, let's go to verse 41. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And I want to say this. I want to say this, and this is important. Let's go back a bit. I want to say this, and this is very important. Especially for ministers of the gospel who listen to me. You know, in life, we have people who make all kinds of commitments. You're, you're going to see people who come and say, you know what, man, I'm going to partner with you for the rest of my life. And uh, some people come and say, oh, man, we're going to walk together forever together. You know, together forever. And the next month, they're out. If you're not a person who prays, you will be so disappointed that at the point in your life, your heart will be full of hearts. It can even happen to you as a business person. You always have partners who disappoint you. In the place of prayer, we build, um, it's like we build a wall against disappointment and hearts and for us to be able to love again. Are we together? You know, sometimes it can happen to women also. And I used to say in a very joking manner, that's why Jesus Christ came and said, I'll heal the brokenhearted. You know, there's some ladies, maybe men also, 
They've broken your heart up until the point where there's literally no heart again. It's been, you know, when a plate breaks into two pieces, you can merge it. It breaks into four, you can use super glue. It breaks into five, you can, they can help, they can solder it, right? <laughs> but if it's chattered in pieces, you look at it, say, where do we start from? <laughs> and some of you have gone through all those heartbreaks, 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 heartbreaks. It's in the place of prayer you can be able to love again. Because even if you go into marriage with those chattered hearts, you will be in marriage, but you will not be in love. All right? So you're bearing misses, whatever, but your heart is not there. So anything the man does, if the man turns like this, you remember, that's how John was turning when he said he was not doing again. And before you know, you are in a marriage, but you are actually responding in that marriage with what? With a heart full of hearts. It is in the place of prayer. See, you cannot forgive people if you're not a person of prayer. It will be difficult. And that's why I don't like when people say, you know, I can forgive, but I cannot forget. You don't, don't, you see, don't be talking that way. Don't be talking that way. You hear people say, forgive but not forget. You see, if you forgive but not forget, the not forget will ruin your forgiveness. Because that not forget aspect of your belief system is what the enemy will keep speaking about. He will keep bringing it to your mind. He will keep bringing it to your mind. And you will just forgive with your mouth, but your heart is still full of bitterness and, and, and all kinds of stuff. And I believe, this is, I believe that one of the greatest hindrances to the blessings of God in our lives is unforgiveness. That's one of the greatest blessings. Some of us are bitter at God. You know, for some of you who have given God deadlines and he, didn't, he was not able to meet up because he had many projects he was doing. You are angry. You thought by when you were 25, you and Bill Gates were going to be eating at the same table. But now you're struggling. Some of you are bitter at God. Some of you are bitter at the church. Uh, that the church did not help you when you were in need. Some of you are bitter at pastors. Pastors are wearing fine clothes and people cannot go to school. Some of you are bitter at wealthy people. God has blessed them because of us. They are not remembering us. Some of you are bitter at the island. There's no road. We only have to look for a way to cross. All kinds of bitterness. Some of you are just bitter. You don't even know why you are bitter. And I don't even know. But we just know you're bitter. And you want to walk in the fullness of God's blessings for your life, it's practically impossible. Because one of the keys to walking in the blessings of God for your life is rejoicing and joy. And bitterness and joy will never coexist in the same heart. Some of you are bitter at your employ uh, employers, the people who have employed you. You know how much the company is making and you know how much they are paying you. Praise the name of the Lord. And you should always check your heart. Whenever people close to you are excelling, what's your response? How do you react to good news about people? And how do you react to bad news? Do you get angry at good news and do you get happy at bad news? 
especially to your enemies. When you hear that that person, that horse, his child is sick, what's your response? How God knows how to take his money. God knows how to take his money. Money they will not use to help the poor. Let them give it to doctor. My God will fight for me. You see, if, if you're that kind of person, you would always be poor. You would always, life would always be a struggle for you. Life would always be a struggle for you. Learn to train yourself to rejoice when good things happen. And learn to train yourself also to mourn when bad things happen to people. Regardless of who those people are to you. Whether friends or enemies. Because if you start responding in a different way to enemies and responding in a different way to friends, your heart might not be able to tell the difference. The day will come when your heart will respond that same way to your friends. How do we cure all these things? It's not by principles. It's by prayer. The more you spend time in prayer, the more God begins to do that heart transplant. And gradually, your heart will begin to be exchanged. He says, I'll give them a heart of flesh and I'll take away the heart of stone. That divine exchange happens in the place of prayer. As a minister of the gospel, I had to spend time to pray and train myself that when people leave the ministry, I'm not responding to them negatively. I mean, there are a lot of, uh, well, not a lot of people have left us, but a couple of people. And I remember a um, particular person who left the, the, the ministry. We're going to do something. And he saw me. So he came in the car and, you know, joined in, helped us to do everything, you know. And uh, when we're coming back, I dropped him off. So the guy in the car said, me, who is that? I said, oh, he used to come to our church. He's like, he used to. But he was acting as if he's still in your church. I said, well, no, he used to come. And he was, he was really shocked because he had also left a ministry and the response the response was very toxic you know some for some people when you leave some churches like you've left the faith they'll treat you like a backslider like an enemy of the cross i'm not saying you should leave please stay <laughs> don't say pastor i've given us permission to leave and you still love us please stay it's it's easier to love you when you're here i have to pray more more but i just please stay okay now, <laughs> now, if a minister of the gospel, why I'm using pastors as an example is to tell you that all of us have to walk through this process. Do, do you understand it? It's not already made. If a minister of the gospel does not also spend time in prayer, when people leave his local church, he's going to spend more time cursing. And this is what I just tell people, especially my fellow ministers. I tell them this. If someone leaves your church, right, the context of the local church which you oversee, and you're placing curses on them, you're saying they have left your covering, they have left your grace, wicked things will happen to them. This is what I tell myself. I tell myself that means in the first place, you did not really love them. You only love them because they were in your local church. Because this is my point. If, if I love my brother because he comes to this local church, and then he leaves, if I truly love him, I would not want bad things to happen to him. Because whether he comes here or not, he's still a human being. I, I don't know if you, if you understand what I'm saying. It's the same thing with you. When people hurt you, and you wish them evil, 
it is just because in the first place, the love of God was not in your heart. So you can only love people because they love you. And when people start hating you and when people start persecuting you, then you respond in a negative uh, dimension. It was because the love of the Father was not in your heart first. And then I hear people say, but the Bible said, but the Bible said, suffer not a witch to live. Uh, it is in the Bible. It is also in the Bible that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Is that in the Bible? Yes. I want to hear that loud and clear. Is that in the holy word of God? Yes. Okay. Has there been times that between us, we have been rebellious to the instructions of God? Your yes is now very low. If I have a church where 90% are obedient to God, that's a blessing. Have we, at any point in our life, have walked in rebellion to the instructions of God? So you understand where my question is going? So sort it out. Solve for X. Let's go to verse 42. Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. In the life of Jesus, we see the prayers for the will of God to be done. Now, this is important. Most times in our life, it is our will we execute. So, it is only in the place of prayer you are able to submit yourself to the will of God. If you read other recordings of this, uh, Matthew and Mark, you will hear him say, the spirit is willing, but what? But the flesh is weak. How do you bring the flesh into alignment? How do you tune your flesh to walk with your spirit? It's in the place of prayer. The will of God is not very easy to execute. We've, just, we've been given examples around the subject of love. We know the will of God. But how often do we act it out? That's why you now hear people say, Pastor, I know what the Bible says, but... Or sometimes you even hear believers say, Pastor, let us live Bible. Let us live Bible. This is life. It's man for man. Wickedness for wickedness. <laughs> now, your spirit knows what to do, but your flesh is not submitting to the will of God. Let's take giving, for instance. To give. How many of you know the scripture says it's more blessed to give than to receive? Yeah? But, but in, in the real sense, in the real sense, which one do you think is more blessed? To receive. You're honest. To receive looks more blessed than to give. Come on, are we together? Yeah. You know, people say, well, you know, this person has the grace of giving. <laughs> the truth of the matter is that they had to practice it. There are people who are generous by nature. There are people who are stingy by nature. If you are stingy, stingy by nature, <laughs> your prayer life needs to double. Because the, the challenge with people who are stingy by nature is that they even become stingy to themselves. That's where the problems now. They start with others. No, they first start with ministers of the gospel. How ah, we give to church? Ah, tithes. No, no, New Testament. New Testament, we just give. Just give. And they are never led. They start with church, they start with pastors, and they start with other people. 
then they enter their family, and then they now enter themselves. That's the problem with stinginess. Stinginess takes is self-esteem from accumulation. So they can have money in the bank, and they are sick. They will prescribe drugs for themselves. Say, how much is this malaria medicine? Say, it's 2,000. How much is this one? It's 500. Is it not the same work both of them are doing? <laughs> Say, it's the same work. Say, it's just name. Don't mind all these people. Give me the one of 500. What about the one of 500? If we cut it into two, will it be 250? <laughs> the guy has 50,000 there. And the funny thing with those people is they die without telling you where their money is. That's, that's, that's the mystery. As they are just about to die, you now just tell them, please, just tell us. They'll just say no. Instead of you people to enjoy this money, let all of us just don't forget it. And they will just die. All those kind of people die when nobody is there. They'll just say, go and bring food for me. They know they're about to die. They say, don't worry, go and bring food. If there's food next door, they say, no, it's not this one I want. I want the one they buy from that market. Before you enter bike, they'll just call you that the man has died. Because the stinginess has prevented, even in debt, to be able to give. You pray your way into liberality. You, you have to. Nobody was born generous. We were all born with our hands closed. We had to be trained by the word of God and by prayer to move into generosity. Praise the name of the Lord. We must pray so we can execute the will of God. Our flesh doesn't want to do God's will. Our flesh doesn't want to obey God. The natural man cannot obey the will of God. The things of God are like foolishness to him. How will you tell someone to love? How will you tell someone to forgive? How will you tell someone to give? How will you tell someone to walk in righteousness? How you will tell someone to stay pure before marriage? How you will tell someone not to commit adultery? You cannot legislate these things. It has to be in the place of prayer. You need the grace of God to live a righteous life. And that grace is assessed in prayers. If you have a weak prayer life, you would have a weak Christian life. Praise the name of the Lord. And of course, this prayer we're talking about is fellowship with God. We're not talking really about asking for something. We're talking about real fellowship with God. If you spend more time praying, the tendencies to sin will be reduced. Because you are communicating with God. You're getting God's mind. Are, are you following what I'm saying? You're, 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 you see, if I'm talking to my brother here, if, I, if we keep talking, you see, that I'll, I'll spend less time doing other things. Why? Because there's communication. And after a while, I'll begin to pick up his habits. I remember one time, I came from school, and I was laughing, you know, in a, in a way. And my mom said, ah, this is not how you used to laugh. <laughs> you know, mothers speak all those kind of things. I mean, left for my father, as far as my teeth were seen. You are laughing. And my mom said, this is not how you used to laugh. And I, I paid attention. I realized I was not laughing like my friend. So I had to renew my mind concerning where my laughter was concerned. Now I don't know who I laugh like. You, you understand what I'm saying? Because as I spent more time talking with my friend, what happened? I picked on his laughter. I'm sure he would have picked up something from me. So it's the same thing as we spend time with God. What happens? We pick on his attributes of love. 
We pick on his attributes of forgiveness. We pick on his attributes of gentleness. We pick on his attributes of perseverance. We pick on his attributes of long-suffering. And before we realize it, these things are beginning to function in us. So Jesus had to pray to do the will of God. Verse 43, then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And this is very important. In the place of prayer, we receive angelic ministration. Hallelujah. We receive angelic help. We receive angelic preservation. I, I used to say this, and I tell people this. Spend time to pray. The day you would really need the intervention of God, sometimes the fear is so in your heart that you won't be able to pray. Praise the name of the Lord. You, that's why you must spend time praying. It's like build up a prayer bank. Because when things really happen, you just realize that, man, fear had flooded your heart. Pray. Learn to pray up. Yesterday, we had prayer meeting with the men. We spent time praying over our health. We just prayed over our health. Just prayed over our health. Speaking all over our body. You don't have to be sick to start praying about your health. The Bible says angels strengthen him. If you want to see increased angelic activities in your life, be a man of prayer. And I've shared this story before with you. And I, uh, I've seen, maybe two, three times in my life, I've seen very physical manifestations of angelic help. So I'll give you two quick incidents. The first one, I was, I was still a small child. I wasn't too aware, but my parents told me. We're going to a place called Choir State, Eloran, uh, specifically for, for an Easter camp meeting. And our boss had a very terrible accident. Very terrible. My, my dad's legs were, were broken. My dad used to be on crutches until the Lord healed him. And we still have the crutches in our house. And... Uh, but when that accident happened, the accident was, was, was massive. It was reported in the newspapers. We used to have the newspapers report, but constantly, I don't know where it is. And, uh, but I realized that as the accident happened, a man carried me and sat me on a stone. So I was sitting on a stone, and I saw my dad, you know, flew across me. It was like all those movies, eh? Flew across <laughs> So when they were looking for my dad, I was the one that pointed to where he fell to. Now, of course, I was aware of some of the things, but then my parents told me the story later. But you realize that that was angelic intervention. That was the angels of the Lord enabling. But the most vivid one I remember was when I was in school, and there was going to be this cult fight. We were not aware. My massive, it was one of the massive cult fights that ever happened in my school. Then the school was shut down for close to two months. But I was visiting with my friend, and I heard somebody call my name. It was, it was audible. I just heard my name. So I came out of the hostel to look around, because the hostel is upstairs in, in Abraka Hall there, Delta State University. I looked down. I didn't see anybody. So I went back, and I heard my name again, very loud, clear. I came out. So I, uh, I went back. I came the third time, and I just heard in my spirit, take your bags and leave for worry now. So I went back to my friend, and he said, ah, why are you always going outside? So I, told, I said, no, I came to tell you that I was going to worry. I didn't even know. I mean, that was not why I went there in the first place, but I didn't know why. I just said that. Then I went home, just took my things, and I got in the car, and I was, I was going. When I was 
very close to worry. My friends called me and said, where are you? Wherever you are, just start running towards worry. <laughs> I said, no, I'm already in the car already. And a massive fight broke out. I mean, students were jumping all from that upstairs down. Some students got their legs broken. Some were running through the bush and all kinds. Of, the school was shut down for like three months. And God just had mercy on me because, you know, my kind of person, when those kind of things happen, instead of me to run, I would just stand in one place and start crying. You understand that kind of thing? <laughs> That's why for people like us that don't have strength, God always releases angels to help us. You know, some of you are strong. You say, I want to see how this fight will end. For somebody like me, I don't want to see. Just tell me the story. But those are angelic interventions. But do you realize, probably that day, I didn't even pray. But what happened? If you have been spending time on prayers, you have been spending time communing with the Father, you would have done what? Released angels all around your life. That when the time comes for intervention, they are just right there. To help you get out of it. Is that not what Jesus said? Jesus said, if I need help right now, I can ask my father for what? For legions of angels. In prayer, we put angels on standby. You realize, I, I remember one, I, I don't know whether it was Pastor Banky or who shared this testimony. One should be one of my mentors, but I'm not sure who exactly. Uh, had, there was a fan, I think it was Pastor Banky. There was a fan in his... Uh, in his room, turning. I think it's Pastor Banky, I remember now, but I don't know which of the book. And then he, he just got up to go ease himself and the fan dropped. The fan was directly on top of him. The fan just dropped. The question is, why did he feel like easing himself that moment? That's the ministry of angels. And that is why, listen very carefully, this might look funny, don't laugh. <laughs> now you started laughing. That's why when God begins to tap you to pray, respond. Because the day they will tap you, that fan want to fall on you. You will think it is prayer. <laughs> God will just wake you. Pray. You will snore. Pray. You will snore. The day thief is coming to your house, they will use wood to flog your head. You will think it is the angel tapping you until you realize you are gone. Learn to respond to the promptings of God. Listen. Learn to respond to, not something told me. Learn to respond to those little promptings of God. Pray for this person. Call this person. Give this to this person. Write this person. See, you know what the Lord is training you? The Lord is training you for your own safety. The day will come. You just want to buy a ticket. And you just feel, no, not this one. Let me buy this one. And that becomes your salvation. The day will come, you want to enter a bus, and you just realize, oh, that becomes your salvation. The day will come, the Lord will just say, go out of the house. And you leave the house, you realize that the building is collapsed. This is what I say. I always believe, uh, this is my own belief. I believe that for every child of God who passes on, if they were attentive to the spirit of God, God would have been speaking to their hearts. God would have been saying, make an adjustment. Do this. Pray about this. Have you, have you experienced that, that sometimes the Lord just wakes you up to pray about something, you just feel a burden, you just feel an intensity, and you pray and pray and pray and pray and realize you don't know what you're praying about. But what is the Bible saying? We're praying so we do not fall into temptation. In prayers, we can avoid and overcome temptations. Amen. So the angel of the Lord came and did what? And strengthened him. Now, the next verse, when he came up, 
he was able to embrace the will of God. What was the will of God for him? To go on the cross. He was able to embrace the will of God. Times of prayers helps us to do what? To embrace the will of God. Whatever God wants you to do, you would require prayer to be able to say yes to it. Hallelujah. Are we together? You would require prayer to be able to say what? Say yes to it. You know, I've heard stories of men who got into ministry and, you know, they shared some kind of stories. You know, the Lord was calling me to go into ministry. I didn't want to accept. You know, my cat now died. Uh, my business started crumbling. And this one started happening. Rain was just falling everywhere I am. Until I said yes. Why, why all the struggle with God? Why? If you spend more time to pray, you will respond to the Lord quickly. Because your flesh always battles with God when it comes to the execution of his will. So prayer helps your flesh to what? To be silent. Hallelujah. So prayer helps us to embrace the will of God. Everybody say prayer. prayer. Let's say it loud and clear. Say prayer. prayer. Helps me helps. to embrace the will of God. Yeah. The other one is that prayer helps you not to respond in the flesh. Let's say that. Say prayer. prayer. Helps me yes. not to respond in the flesh. Let's say it one more time. Say prayer. Helps me yes. not to respond in the flesh. So you realize in this, in this incident, the disciples responded in the flesh to those who came to carry Jesus, right? What did they do? They just caught the sword. Pew. Ears down, straight. <laughs> and Jesus Christ had to perform a healing service right there. Now, if they had spent time praying with Jesus, they would not have responded that way. But while Jesus was praying, they were sleeping. If you want to be able to respond to things spiritually, you must be a man of prayer. In fact, in, I think it was in Mark's rendering, or Matthew, um, Jesus called Judas friend. He says, friend. Hey, I know for some of us, including me, that's not the, that's not the point to call anybody friend. When they're coming to, to crucify you. You know, when we watch the crucifixion of Jesus, we don't understand what it means. The closest, it's not, it's, not, it's not exact, but the closest to, to that description is um, the passion of Christ. That is the closest. Because Isaiah said his, his body was mad beyond recognition. You know, when Jesus was crucified, he was not crucified. I'm going to spend the next couple of Sundays teaching on Christ, our Passover lamb. When Jesus was crucified, he was not crucified as a good man. Realize that. Jesus was crucified as a criminal against the state, against the Jewish nation. So it is like if they wanted to crucify maybe like a, a terrorist leader. That's how Jesus was seen. He was seen as a man who took a group of people and wanted to overthrow the, the government. Wanted to become king of the Jews. So he was treated as someone who was going against the government. So when you watch uh, Jesus on the cross, it wasn't just some nice weep like, we'll flog you 29, is that okay? It wasn't just some nice stuff. Those guys whipped him. And maybe I'll show you a picture of that. The Roman whip at the end had metal, um, what do you call it now? Some bit of metals at the end. And it was very long. 
So when they whipped or flogged or trashed, whatever English fits in there, fill in the blank spaces, it went around your body, then they pulled. So it came out with a portion of your flesh. And Jesus did not endure that as a God. He did it as a man. See, that's why the man was praying. Because if you know, you know, if it was just that they were going to flog him, they would just pull crown of thorns, he would just be on the cross like that, then you say, say, can we take selfie together with the three thieves? Selfie. <laughs> he wouldn't have prayed this prayer. Do you pray that for that kind of nice mission? You don't. He had to pray for his body to be able to accept that. And the scripture says he was praying until the sweat from his body was like drops of blood. So this was not just, oh God, I'm going to the cross. Let your will be done. Not my will, but your will in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, he was Jesus. I don't know. I prayed. No. That's not it. That's why sometimes when we say, let's pray that we'll be in the will of God. The way some of us pray casually, we cannot enter the will of God. Do you know how many demons in hell will resist you from saying yes to God? Have you realized that most times, most people who are called into ministry go through all kinds of stuff in their life because the enemy doesn't just want them to respond to the call? Are you following what I'm saying? Do you know how things over your life will come under attack just because you want to be in the will of God? So in prayers, we do not respond to the will of God in flesh. We are able to respond to the will of God, what? In faith and spiritually. Praise the name of the Lord. So prayer helps us to be able to respond to the will of God in the spirit. To be able to say yes to God. So we learn from the life of Jesus the importance of praying to be able to do God's will. Some of you listening to me and you sense God is asking you to do something. You sense the promptings of God. And it's almost difficult for you to say yes. You need to spend more time praying so that you're strengthened to do God's will. Hallelujah. So from the life of Jesus, we find out that he withdrew himself to pray. He prayed for those who betrayed him. Through his prayer life, he was able to say yes to God. Through his prayer life, he was able to to subject his flesh to obey the will of God. Through his prayer life, he was able to respond to the will of God in the spirit. Sometimes we respond to the will of God in the flesh. What God has started in the spirit, we try to respond in the flesh. But in prayers, the Lord teaches us the right response. I want you to cultivate your prayer life. Go to work on your prayer life. Move beyond this casual, you know, thank God for my children, thank God for my life. I thank you, Father. Uh, we plead the blood of Jesus on the, on the four corners of the houses. I've told you not to be doing that. I think I've taught you that. The blood of Jesus is essentially for our redemption. That's why I want to teach on Jesus, uh, Jesus being the Passover lamb. Because some of you have been taught to sprinkle blood everywhere. You just sprinkle as you go. Sprinkle on the car. Sprinkle on the can. Sprinkle on the water. Yeah, I sprinkle. I just sprinkle. Even the one that I don't... What, what are you sprinkling? He said, but the Bible says, we overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. That thing was referring to death. Those were martyrs speaking. Book of Revelation. And I think the other scripture people use is when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And I've explained that to you. If you read that scripture in context, the person who will pass over 
was the death angel released by God. It was God that was going to judge Egypt. So the blood, listen carefully, the blood on the doorpost of the house of the Israelites was to tell the death angel who belonged to God. That's why even the Egyptians who went into the house of the Israelites were saved. How does that, the Old Testament is a picture of the New Testament. How does that come in the New Testament? That's what I'm going to spend the next two, three Sundays teaching on Jesus, our Passover lamb. Jesus, the blood of Jesus have been shed for us and we have been sealed unto redemption. And so when judgment comes on the earth, we are the redeemed. We have been redeemed from judgment. It is not something to sprinkle on tire when you are traveling. Leave it alone. It is for your redemption. We have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. Is the blood of Jesus a weapon of protection? The angels are designed for that. Is that okay? I know it will take time, but it is okay. I said, is that okay? Exactly. The blood is for our redemption. What protects us physically on the earth? The ministry of angels. I will give his angels charge over you to keep you in all the way you go. The angels of God act as the physical agent of protection. What does the blood do for us? The blood is for the redemption of humanity. And when we are sealed with that blood, when judgment comes on the earth, we, are, we have escaped from the earth, from, from the judgment. Somebody said, but I did it and it worked. We don't, we don't validate truth by what works. We validate truth by truth. Because a witch doctor can give you something and it will work. Does that make it true? So results are not the proof of truths. Truths are truths because they can be proven from scriptures. Do you follow what I'm saying? So I don't judge something because I'll tell you this now. For instance, somebody says, uh, well, when we do that, it works. And I tell you, I don't do it. And it works. So what actually works? The truth of the matter is that anything the human mind builds its belief system on has the capacity to produce results. Because man is created in the image of God. So there's a God nature in you. Are you following what I'm saying? So we, listen, when we come to the house of God, we're not looking for what works. What are we looking for? The truth of God's word to be explained and taught to us in the way that God originally intended it to be. Are you following what I'm saying? So I'll just give a practical example and I close. If you tell a Jewish man and you tell him about the blood of sprinkling, he will understand what I've just explained to you. Because he will know that that was what saved them from Egypt. And funny enough, when you have a minister teaching, teaching you that, in the next time he comes to church, he will now tell you that, do you know what? Egypt is a type of the world. And Canaan is a type of God's kingdom. Agree? Absolutely. So if Egypt is a type of the world and Canaan is a type of God's kingdom, what transfers us from the world into the kingdom of God? The blood. Amen. The blood. Why are these things important? It's important that everything we believe is founded and rooted on the word of God. That's very important. Praise the name of the Lord. Okay, that was bonus. Can we pray? Father, we just thank you. 
We thank you for the power of redemption. We thank you, Lord, for our prayer lives. And today we just receive the spirit of grace and supplication in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We call everyone blessed in this service. In Jesus' mighty name, we Thank you for listening to Present Truth Broadcast with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. We would also like to hear from you. Send us an email, info at pastormax.ng or call 0805-888-7575. God bless you.